0: find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Hey podcast lovers. My name is Haley and I run the Doe Identify podcast. I have been passionate about helping the unidentified get their names back ever since I found out I lived within miles of where Sherry Ann Jarvis, formerly known as the Walker County Jane Doe, was found. In my podcast, I tell the stories and provide information about unidentified people in hopes of reaching their loved ones and getting their names back. So come join me and help me advocate for these people. You never know, you could recognize someone's story. Hello everybody! Here we go again! Welcome back to another episode of My Second Self and I. My name is Matt. I am your host. Who am I? That is Alex, our co-host. Spoiler alert if you're new here. That is also me. Just roll with it. Today we're going to be talking about one of the angriest men I've ever heard of. Sticking to this month's theme, I found a case from back in the First Reich era of Germany from around 1891-1924. This man wind up being sentenced to death eight times, once for each person he killed. But the journey up to that point's the part we're interested in, because, second spoiler alert, this is a comedy show. This is absolutely a true story, but I'm gonna sift and filter through the details around it and see what kind of comedic gems I can find. Otherwise, I try to just tell the story with a tongue-in-cheek kind of approach, because we need more laughter. Especially when it comes to processing darker subjects. I mean... Nine people are going to die on this show today. We might need a little bit of humor to take the edge off. Not to worry, though. We're all friends here. We understand that the people that die on this show are not usually the butts of my jokes. Unless the person that dies is the murderer, then it's fine, because honestly, if you're going to murder eight people, you deserve to be made fun of at least a little bit, right? So if you're up for listening to some guy poke fun at himself in the crazy murder story that brought him here today, stick around! I try to make these as fun as I can within a 30 to 45 minute window because I know you people are busy out there. I'm busy too. These take a long time to put together. And I feel like 30 minutes is usually plenty of time to get the whole story anyway. Plus a little bit of extra time kind of play around some funny ideas that may or may not work. But we're real with ourselves and we learn as we go. Half hour isn't that long of a commitment to ask out of your day either. But I can do the dishes while you listen to me. It makes it feel a lot less like a chore. How many dishes can I wash before Matt or Alex pops in with the next goofy voice? Make a game out of it. Okay, that's enough rambling through an intro. We're all on the same page now. Right, Red Corolla? One of these days I'm going to get somebody. If you're listening in a Red Corolla right now, you owe me a review and a follow. Go make it happen. Alex, are you ready? To go back to almost Nazi Germany? I mean, I guess. It's fine. There's not actually any Nazis in this episode. Hitler does become the leader of the Nazi party at some point during the course of this story's events, but that's kind of just there in the background to provide some context where the story takes place, so I'm going to go get my time machine ready, and I'll see you back here after the whoosh. We are now back in the 1800s yet again. I just couldn't help myself with this time machine. It's the only one in existence, and I had to take full advantage of it. Don't worry, we won't be in the 19th century for very long. Our subject today was born on January 3rd, 1891, so we're only going to be here for about the last decade or so. Fritz Heinrich Ungerstein came from a very crowded household. He was the seventh of ten children. Because it seems like, regardless of country of origin, having a shitload of kids was just the thing people did back then. We are in the tiny hamlet of Dillenburg, just yes, right next to Anthonyville and Brandon Townsend's. quite lovely. If you were to go to Dillenburg today, according to TripAdvisor, there are only four things to do in this place. Three of them involve some sort of outdoorsy activity, and the other one is a train museum. However, one of those outdoorsy things is some place that does off-road tours, which sounds cool as shit, and another one is an old bitchin' looking castle that would also be cool as shit to go see. That's why I like these foreign episodes, I get to add shit to my bucket list of things to see and do. Something the young Angerstein got to see quite a bit of was his father changing jobs. Throughout Fritz's childhood, his father had labored as a carpenter, a steel worker, and then somehow later on also the mayor of whatever community he was party to. i tried looking into that one more, but this, that line is the only thing I could find that exists on it, so I'm not sure if it was Dillenburg or another place he was mayor of. Either way, Papa Mayer was doing pretty well in life. Got a nice, even, round number of children, a good job, a loving wife. Most of his kids were in pretty good health, too. Something you see a lot of from this time period is sick children. And unfortunately for our guy today, Fritz Angerstein would wind up being one of those children. That's why I said most a second ago. He was stricken with tuberculosis from a very early age. I'm guessing somewhere before the age of 10 which caused him to also have one of his ribs surgically removed. Turns out, there are multiple different types of tuberculosis. I didn't know that, and he suffered from a bunch of them. I took a guess at his age a minute ago, because it doesn't give me a number, and the next age I have for him is at 14, which is around 1905 when he gets a job as a land surveyor for a big company. I'd have to imagine having A, tuberculosis, and B, a rib removed probably because of A, it would take some time to recover enough for an outside manual labor job, so before 10 years old at the very least. He does some work for the surveyor company for a while, but later switched jobs to work for a limestone mining company. Maybe it paid more, maybe it had more favorable working conditions for a tuberculosis patient, maybe they just had a better casual Friday system where he could wear his PJs to work, it could be literally anything. So life is going about as well as Angerstein can probably hope for at this point. His health is in check enough for him to hold down two steady jobs for an extended period of time. Nice job. But I'd have to imagine that, you know, a person would get lonely having to work all the time. Always punching in and out of some clock only to go home to an empty bed. Sure, he's got a little bit of money to get by on and by my count seems to be doing pretty okay. But it's just never quite enough to call it good enough. He needs a wife. And in 1911, he does exactly that. He marries a woman named Kathy Barth. And these two, oh boy, let me tell you. They say opposites attract, but I don't know, maybe that rule was invented after these two, because it kind of seems like they marry each other for the sameness. Kathy would end up being diagnosed with some unknown intestinal disease around 1920. And up until that point, she was also suffering from some, what they call, severe hysteria which i think is some sort of undiagnosed personality disorder or other mental illness they just didn't know what to call it yet they never did have any children together but kathy did end up having six miscarriages so not like they weren't trying but it just wasn't in the cards for them so this sounds like a lovely lovely home two very sick people that love each other despite the backbreaking manual labor it takes to support them the numerous failed attempts at procreation. And a major job change all within the first nine years of marriage. How great for them. But there's some other stuff going on in the house that we also need to talk about. Some stuff bubbling away under the surface. For example, the in-laws situation. Kathy's mom sounds like the exact stereotype of an overbearing, pain-in-the-ass mother-in-law. She would constantly berate the two of them for not being able to have a child. She treated Kathy like shit, just in general. And even when she was trying to be a mom and feed her sick daughter, she only ever made soup, and she somehow burned the soup on top of that. How the fuck do you burn soup? I have no fucking idea. I'm trying to imagine what ingredients might be available to them for soup that could be burned, but I I, can, I have no idea. Maybe, Maybe she just poured water into a burnt pan of solids and called it soup broth? Either way, Angerstein reacts to the burnt soup in a really profoundly crazy and kind of hilarious way. After the final straw of having been served a burnt liquid, Angerstein finally lives up to his name and whips the ever-loving shit out of his mother-in-law with a dog whip. See what happens when she burn the soup, you bitch! A dog whip? It's 1920s Germany, dude. You can't be that surprised. He whipped her ass so badly that Kathy ran away in fear, as one does, And Angerstein doubles down on the craziness. He says if Kathy doesn't come back home, he'll not only kill his mother-in-law, but also himself over burnt soup. So in a matter of probably like half an hour, he's gone from beating a woman with a whip made for dogs to basically attempted murder all because of some burnt soup. So now add in all of that to the constant health battles these two are going through. I already mentioned Kathy's sudden onset of intestinal disease in 1920, but the other important thing that happens is the company Angerstein is working for is bought out by a larger company called VanderZeipen. He'd been working out of a town called Hager, 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 I'm gonna say, Hager, since around 1917, and when the VanderZeipen company took over, they offered to put Angerstein and his family up in a little villa in Hager in 1921. How nice! Makes the commute to work a little bit simpler, and with the included room and board on top of his 390 Reichsmarks a month, he's taken up a pretty big step in terms of progress. Nice job, man. Pretty decent-sized house, too. Five separate rooms for Angerstein and his different assistants, some living spaces for Angerstein, Kathy, the mother-in-law, and sister-in-law, and literally on top of that, they had an attic area, which is where the maidservant lives. He gets to live in a paid-for house with two floors and a main. Fuck yeah, bro. But as we've already discussed, things were actually pretty tense in the household before the move. And anything major like that's just going to cause a lot of stress, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better for them. I mean, yeah, sure, the perks are pretty good, but it's never enough when dealing with a big corporation sooner or later. Something's going to happen. And then later on, that same year, still in 1921, Kathy writes a letter. She just wrote a letter. She just wrote a letter. She just wrote a letter. I wonder what it says. It's um, it's uh, it's actually some pretty sad shit. She doesn't think she can be the wife of a man of Angerstein's caliber should deserve. She's too sick, and he's too much of a good husband and provider to show him the love and care he needs. She's trying to leave him. Angerstein comes across this letter one day while cleaning up some stuff, and together, after reading the letter with Kathy, he and Angerstein both decide the only logical choice would be to kill themselves by drowning themselves together in the lake. But then nobody's happily married. Oh, Alex, this is Germany in the 1920s. Happiness isn't even a word over there right now. The Nazi Party has been established, Hitler has already been cemented into a seat of power by 1922, and the live-in maid can't cook a decent meal to save her life either. Plus, everybody in the house is sick with a communicable disease or has been in close contact with somebody that does have one. So, on top of the surrounding Nazi party rising to power in the background, everybody is half dead anyway and can barely eat. So, in the middle of trying to kill themselves in the lake, Kathy and Fritz are saved by some random singing. It may or may not have been me. The music they heard was so sweet, it seemed to almost pull them back out of the water. Having been miraculously cured by the songs of their neighbors, the couple began dancing wildly. They were more flexible than they'd ever been. They were dancing the Charleston, the Black Bottom, the Foxtrot, and the Texas Tommy. Angerstein even started to doggy while Kathy dropped it low and ripped a hole in the back of her apple-bottom jeans. Okay, fine. But they did try to drown themselves in the lake, and they did hear singing, which did make them reconsider... My story was way more fun, though. So everybody's doing fine. Everyone's still alive, at least for the next three years or so. So we're going to catch back up with everybody in November of 1924. But first, I have to take a short break to talk a little bit about one of my sponsors. Is it a real one? Huh? My name is Hans and Wurst, and I am the owner of the Hunden-Suppen. Yeah, I walk the Horns, I train the Horns, I feed the Horns, sometimes I make the soup that I make, sometimes the other things. Sometimes people ask me why they should come to my shop, I just simply have to tell them that this is the best, most purest German-owned business in the whole Reich, why wouldn't you come here? You can get not only soup, but also a place to board and train your Hund, you know what? Let me just break it down for you. I make everything from scratch. I harvest my own feed, process my own flour, grow the vegetables. I make good soup. I always do food prep first before any hound beat, I mean hound fucking, excuse me. We must keep the soup as pure as Germany, so no cross-contamination. After the hunt flipping, walking, I've spent a few hours with them, just doing some intense trainings, making sure they know their commands like sitzen, platz, stay, aus, comes, schnell, fast, you know, really important ones. Nein! Nein, Rover! We don't have time for a match! I mean, fuck, we just got back from 10 minutes ago! What do you want? So, yeah, that's just me, has and Weston, come to the so, open, let me train your hunt! I'll feed it Okay, full disclosure, I'm not 100% on this new sponsor. I might have to keep an eye on him. hes I mean, He does seem kind of suspicious, but I do really like soup and dogs. So, I, I'll let you know if I find out anything on Mr. Broughton For now, though, let's catch back up with something that actually happened in Mr. Angerstein's life. From 1921 to 1924, things were going fairly smoothly at least as smoothly as they could in between the vicious mother-in-law whippings and attempted suicides, until Angerstein decided the company he worked for owed him 90,000 Reichmarks, and after falling on financial hard times, maybe he invested too much in the Hundensuppen and the business crumbled, he begins embezzling money from van der Zeipen. He's stealing money from German businessmen that have authority? I don't think this is going to be a very fruitful endeavor for Mr. Angerstein. Sometime in November of 1924, one of Angerstein's colleagues found proof of the embezzlement in some paperwork that Angerstein had left lying around. Why on earth a person would leave a paper trail of stolen company money inside a house that same company's also paying for is beyond me, but the fraud is nonetheless discovered and an investigation followed shortly thereafter. Later, court records showed that he stole about 15,000 Reichsmarks from them. Not a bad number, but not quite 90,000 either. Now, the meaty part of this story all happened over the course of about four days, from Friday to Monday. The only significant thing that happened on Friday was Kathy writing a letter detailing her last wishes, as she had a gut feeling that she was probably going to die soon. Is that foreshadowing? I mean, I don't think she meant it in the way that we're used to. She probably meant her illness was getting the better of her, but you know, I mean, I guess kinda does foreshadow things a little bit. The next day, on Saturday, Angerstein meets with one of the accountants for Venderseipen to dispute the financial discrepancies from his embezzling. This meeting went nowhere fast, and the two wound up arguing for a little while, not really resolving anything, so Angerstein goes back home to be with his wife. They do have some trouble getting to sleep that night, though. There was a birthday party going on that day, and somebody decided to buck off a few shots to celebrate. Woo! Disrespect your surroundings. So they don't get any sleep that night because of the six gunshots, which caused Kathy to be up all night firing bloody nastiness from both ends. In between fainting and some overactive heart issues, Kathy is not doing well, and she did not have a very good night. Nor did Angerstein, who was up taking care of her all night, and because of it, He had some pretty intense migraines going on all throughout the day on Sunday. This is a shitty weekend to be either one of these people and it just keeps getting worse. Imagine finding out the next day after going through all that that the reason for the gunshots was just a birthday party. And now he has to deal with headaches, a very sick wife, a bitchy mother-in-law, and a maid that can barely boil water while trying to stay out of legal trouble from the company he stole from while living in the house that same company is also paying for. Every single part of that is a headache in and of itself, but by the end of the night, November 30th, the real ones in his head have pushed him to the absolute breaking point. Angerstein is about to live up to his name. During the day, Angerstein must have raged out at something. Maybe the pounding in his head drove him to do it, and he was too far gone, but he damaged some water pipes and the telephone wire so badly that he ends up wiring himself out and passes out. Then sometime between midnight and 1 a.m., he wakes up in a panic. He's clutching his chest, his heart having suddenly become weak. He looks over and notices his wife doing very much the same thing. So they're awake now and in a medically induced panic. Angerstein goes to call a doctor for his wife, she grabs him by the hand, stops him. Just go get my mom. Please, just go get my mom. Go. So she sends him off to go get her mother-in-law, so he begrudgingly goes and fetches the mother-in-law. God oh, damn it. She's not going to help, but okay. Okay. It's for my wife. It's okay. And they all come back together. Angerstein takes a seat next to Kathy while she reads a letter to them. Got to make sure she's still coherent has all her faculties. Here, what does this say? While she's doing this, Angerstein notices some vomit on her pillowcase. Being the good husband that he is, he goes to change it out, and what does he find in the linen closet? Some towels. A giant hornet's nest, and they're angry that he opened the door. Now there's hornets flying around, stinging everybody in the face, there's no phone to call for help because Angerstein broke it a few hours ago, Kathy's got diarrhea and her mom's throwing burnt soup everywhere, it's a literal shitstorm. Which would be a really fucked up scene if it were true. He actually just found that letter from Kathy that she wrote about her last wishes a few days ago. Remember? There were a lot of bodily fluids covering things in the room, but no murder hornets. Unless you count Angerstein. He's none too happy about the letter. He then remembers when Kathy said that she wanted to die at the same time as him, and he decides, you know what? A is for Angerstein. I'm gonna go get my gun. So... As soon as Kathy faints again, he goes to get his revolver, but by the time he comes back, she's awake again, and somehow wrestles the gun away from him, despite literally being covered in blood and shit and weak from whatever the hell disease she has. Gets the gun away from him, says, His own wife, Lord, forgive him! I can't do a German woman accent, sorry. She's still pretty weak though, so it doesn't take long until she passes out again. This gives Angerstein a little bit of time to rethink what he was about to do. Now, instead of shooting her, he goes and grabs his hunting dagger and stabs her 18 times. Holy shit. Having realized what he'd just done, Angerstein runs downstairs to try and put an end to himself as quickly as possible. Tries to shoot himself with two different guns, but they both jam. Oh shit, now what? Maybe there's something down in the cellar? So he runs downstairs and finds an axe handle. Aha! If I cut off my own hand, I'll surely bleed out in no time. Oh, God, damn it! not her again. Now, having been further enraged by the screams of his mother-in-law, who I'm guessing just found Kathy, Angerstein runs upstairs, axe in hand, and gives his mother-in-law one final lesson in not burning the soup, and as also, as he said, for treating Kathy so badly. Bro, what the fuck? You stabbed her 18 times and murdered her mother. For real, at least the mother in law never stabbed Kathy with a hunting dagger, you jackass. I mean, that we know of. Oh shit, how long have you been there? The maid servant Mina Stoll had been standing in the doorway watching him attack the mother in law for long enough. As their eyes met, Angerstein realizes what he has to do, and she realizes that he has realized it. She tries to make an escape up into the attic which I don't think will work very well given that the door is made of wood and his axe is made of axe but she's just shy of escape anyway as Angerstein grabs her by the back of the shirt and bashes her head in with the axe as well and then lit her on fire like all those times she also burnt the soup according to Angerstein anyway. That's a wild Sunday night. It's also only about half over once Angerstein goes back upstairs He really doesn't want either Kathy or his mother-in-law to get up again. And he starts chopping up both of them. Again. His mother-in-law was somehow still barely clinging to life until he came back upstairs. And then he just stops. Calmly walks downstairs. Cleans up the axe. Washes himself off. And goes to sleep. How the shit do you sleep after something like that? Maybe his brain just overloaded and went into some sort of autopilot? Like, I don't think it was a very restful sleep, though. His sister-in-law had returned home early in the morning and woke him up, so he followed her upstairs and into the bathroom with the X. and this poor girl probably never saw anything coming. For some reason, though, I can't figure this out. He covers her up with a towel. He said he couldn't stand to look at her, but he was able to do that... To his own wife? I I don't understand that one at all. I don't get it. By 7 a.m., there were already four bodies in different parts of the house, and by early afternoon, there would be four more. A bookkeeper named Dittert, an accountant named Kiel, and two gardeners, Geist and Dar. All killed one by one with a hatchet, in fear that they'd seen one of the other many dead bodies smattered around the villa. Someone came by a little while later to deliver a letter to Angerstein's brother, this person, of course, is going to inquire about Fritz's appearance, the wiped sir, are you, are you okay? Fritz managed to just barely mutter out that he was sick and that he's fine and he'll go away, but that was way too close of a call, so he realizes, uh, he, shit, I've got to come up with a new plan to be able to get away with this, so he pours gasoline all over the house, up and down both floors, and then went fucking shopping. What? The fuck is he gonna buy after an octuple homicide? Duh! Two chocolate bars, a book, and a flashlight. What would you buy after something like that? He said the chocolate was for Kathy, though, so uh, he's not processing trauma very well. But I can't imagine what he would need a flashlight and a new book for. Everybody is already dead, including the dog. God damn it, why? This guy is seriously unhinged at this point, and he just keeps going up and up and up. He gets back to the house... Sets the gas on fire, though somehow it really doesn't do much damage to the first floor. I guess it must have evaporated a little bit. And then he does maybe the craziest thing yet. He takes a knife and stabs himself multiple times in non-life-threatening areas, but doing a lot of damage, really. And also, for some reason, he stabs his hat a bunch of times, too. I guess he's really trying to sell this next lie. He then calls the police to come investigate, and when they get there, he tells them that Bandits broke in, murdered everybody, left me here to die. See, that is a lot more in line with how people would injure themselves to get away with the crime. Not like last week, when some people thought Nils Gustafsson might have broken his own jaw. But the police actually buy Angerstein's story. He must have been a good actor, I guess. He's taken to the hospital where he's operated on, and several people actually reported seeing around 15 to 20 bandit-esque figures running away from the burning house. They even rounded up a few posses to protect the town. How fucking gullible is this town, man? What's so crazy, it must be true. Grab your rifles and your pitchforks. There's a doings a transpiring. At least that's what people are doing until someone who knows what they're doing shows up. George Pop quickly realizes that by the time they had arrived, the bodies were already well into rigor mortis, which means they must have died some time ago, way too soon to fit into Mr. Angerstein's telling of the story. There were also no signs of a robbery, and his fingerprints were found all over the dagger, the axe, and oh yeah, all eight of the bodies found throughout the house. So he is arrested pretty quickly and hauled off to jail. Before the trial, there was a bit of back and forth before Angerstein finally admitted to the murders. He tried to deny it, but kept contradicting himself, so eventually he does cave and confess. While in court, he tries to say still that van der Zypen owed him money, which quickly, quickly refuted by the 150-ish witnesses and 27 experts brought in against him. He was accused of 13 total counts, 8 for murder, two for embezzlement, and one each for forging documents, arson, and who could forget good old perjury. Angerstein was sentenced to death eight times on July 13th, my almost birthday, and once again, a crucial part of the story pops up in July. He is then stripped of all civil rights, thrown in a prison cell for about a year, just to drag it out probably. And on November 17th, 1925, the executioner on duty wanted to start his day off right, The best part of waking up is a severed head in your cup. At 8 a.m., Fritz Angerstein was decapitated by Executioner's Axe, putting an end to the terror of a sick and angry man. That is the story of Fritz Angerstein. everybody. Honestly, one of the more exciting ones I've read through in a little while, despite how short of a story it really is. I mean, there's If you look it up, there's really only one source out there floating around. It's all the exact same article everywhere, but that's all I have for you today, guys. Though I do have some supremely awesome stuff happening in the real world that I can't wait to tell you about. I'm just not quite ready to put it on the airwaves until it's a little more concrete, but your boy's doing some cool shit. If you like that story, go ahead and click on the subscribe or follow or like button, whichever one of those things is available to you. Please do that for me. A review would be even better if you can do that. I'd love to hear from you. You can also reach out to me in a couple of other places if you want to do that. Uh, Alex, where, where can they do that? Instagram at Second Self Podcast and the show email at MySecondSelfAndI at gmail.com. And if you haven't done so already, go check out some of the other shows on the PodMoth Media Network. That is absolutely a real thing. Not one of my made-up sponsors. I will tell you if it's a made-up sponsor, you know I will. There are a ton of great shows over there, including this one. And if you like listening to me, you'll definitely enjoy what some of the other moths on the network are up to. So go do that, and we will all appreciate it. Next episode is a new month, and holy shit, next week is October. What the fuck? Last year, I had a lot of fun with some horribly disturbing cases throughout October, one of which involved a wood chipper, and another one about the other one of the other most famous German serial killers, Fritz Harman, the butcher of Hanover. You're 0 for 2 on Fritz's Germany. Get your shit together. Just kidding. I love you guys, too. That's going to be all from me today, everybody. I'll see you next week. Have a good week yourselves. Make smart choices and stay kind. Bye!